pastor of First Baptist Church of Orchard, Texas. More information on First Baptist Church Orchard can be found at fbcorchard.com. We're going to do things a little bit differently this morning. Um, we're going to talk a little bit, and then we're going to read the scripture. So we're not we're not leaving the scripture out. We're just going to do it in a little bit. Um, Many of you will probably remember, most of you may not, a guy named Jim Jones back in the 1970s. Okay? Jim Jones uh, grew up as a, a Pentecostal kid in uh, the Great Depression. He uh, rose to prominence in the late 1940s, and he was great, man. He was an awesome speaker, and he was a great evangelist, and he was he was into civil rights before civil rights was cool. Um, you know, he built a church that embraced all races and embraced all levels of socioeconomic status. He had poor folks and rich folks and everybody was together. Uh, very, very charismatic guy. Um, he grew in popularity. As he grew in popularity, he grew in influence. He became involved in politics. And he was courted by politicians and celebrities. Jimmy Carter uh, knew him. Uh, Martin Luther King knew him. And he was esteemed by them. Uh, he would also engage in these very intense worship services that involved him speaking prophecy from the pulpit. Prophecy that was fulfilled. And he would heal people of cancer and blindness in these very, very dramatic displays where he would, you know, heal people and they'd bring out big, you know, tumors and throw them down. It was just really, really impressive stuff. By the time, uh, by the late 1970s, he had built a multi-site congregation in L.A. and San Francisco of about 2,000 people. And he was rolling, man. I mean, he was... He was on his way up. Many people considered his brand of, of social gospel and old-time religion to be the future of Christianity in America. I mean, he was an up-and-comer. He was an up-and-comer. And then, as so often happens, his, his kingdom started to crumble. Right? Dirty rumors started to leak out of the people's temple, which is what he called it. Rumors of people being beaten and some people being murdered and weird stuff going on, people being swindled out of their money, families being broken apart. And as the pressure built on him, as the pressure built and built and built and they started to have investigations and expose articles being written, he decided that he needed to move someplace where the oppression would not be as great. And so he picked up and he and about a thousand of his people moved to a Christian commune in the middle of the Amazon jungle in Guiana. I'm sorry, in uh, British, Guiana. British Guiana. And on the morning of November 18, 1978, Jim Jones and 913 of his followers grouped up in the center of their compound, and he told them about how the United States government was going to come down and take all their kids and kill everybody. Now, that's partly because he had ordered a 
a United States congressman to be assassinated. Now, that's part of why he was being oppressed. But he brought everybody together and, and said, the oppression is coming. And the only thing that we can do is to commit revolutionary suicide. And so they lined up my families. And they brought out big jugs of grape Kool-Aid flavored with arsenic and Valium. The mothers gave their children arsenic with a syringe, and then the families took poison and died in groups. And, and when the sun came up that morning, the world was greeted with the image of clean-cut families lined up in rows, laying dead on the ground. And the question has echoed for 30 years since, why? Why would you do this? How would a man gain this much control over people that mothers would kill their own children? Why? 2,000 years earlier, Jesus spoke about and so if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be, read verses 15 through 23. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23. No, you stay seated. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but bad tree, trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name did we not cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. See, the real tragedy of Jamestown was that these people willingly and knowingly went to their death. They had choice after choice after choice. They had opportunity after opportunity to flee, and they did not. They did not go because they were devoted to Jim Jones. They were following their shepherd, but they were following the wrong shepherd. They were following a shepherd that was really a wolf in sheep's clothing. So the, the big takeaway this morning from what we're going to talk about is don't follow the wrong shepherd. Don't do it. There are plenty of bad guys out there that want to lead you astray. Don't follow them. Don't follow the wrong shepherd. See, because the world is filled with false prophets. The world is filled with false prophets. And it has been since the very beginning. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. See, pro false prophets prey on the children of God. We are the sheep of God. He cares for us. He leads us beside still waters. He feeds us and cares for us. 
and protects us. And Christ wanted, to, wanted his followers to understand that this was the, the, the relationship that they were supposed to have. And over and over and over again, he describes them as sheep. But see, the reality of sheep is that sheep are the prey of wolves. They are the natural prey of wolves. And as religious people, as people who are in the place of believing the Bible and submitting to authority, we fall victim to wolves. And we fall victim to wolves a lot. Christ wants his people to understand that there are individuals out there who want nothing more than to come in among the flock and prey on the people of God. Some of these, some of these wolves are overt about it. They're people from other religions, Muslims or Hindus or people like that, who are open about the fact that they want you to convert, that they want you to change who you worship. Some of them are Christian heretics, people who are Christians, sort of, but they believe weird stuff. They're not really Christians, people like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons who, who, who twisted up doctrines, but they're not, they're not dishonest about it. They'll come out and tell you exactly what they believe. Some of them are apostates, people who used to be Christians who turned to atheism and who said, this is silly, you don't want anything to do with this, come and follow me. Right? These, are, these are the open wolves, the wolves that are out there that you can see. But Jesus is talking about something different here. He's talking about the false prophets. He's talking about the wolves in sheep clothing, the people who pretend to be something that they're not, the pastors who wear the clothes and speak the words, who talk the talk and appear to walk the walk. Right? That's who he's talking about, the deceitful pastors, the, sheep, the wolves in sheep clothing. Over and over and over again in the Old Testament, we see these types of men rise up. During the Exodus, we had people who claimed to be children of God, who led the people of Israel astray, right? Who caused them to not enter the promised land, who led the people to rebellion in the desert and made golden calves and worshipped other gods. People who lived in the shadow of a fiery pillar every single night in a, a cloud of smoke every single day rebelled against God because false prophets, false prophets can be very seductive. Much later, the people will be dealing with the same issue. The problem doesn't go away problem doesn't go away with time. In Ezekiel, as the, as the nation of Israel is living in, in exile, he speaks about the problem of false prophets when he says, her officials, he's talking about Israel, her officials within her are like wolves tearing their prey. They shed blood and kill people to make unjust gain. The prophets whitewash these deeds for them by false visions and lying divinations. They say, this is what the sovereign Lord says when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land practiced extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and the needy and mistreat the foreigner, denying them justice. See, the leaders of the people are abusing the poor and the prophets are covering for them. The leaders of the people are taking advantage of the poor and the outcast and the needy and the prophets are saying, no, it's okay. It's all right. It's not a problem. It's okay. 
God said it's all right. God said there is no judgment coming. See, there were false prophets at the time of Israel, and there were false prophets at the time of Christ. There were people that led God's people and led them astray. That's why Jesus calls these people blind guides, blind guides, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious peoples and the religious leaders of the time who led the people astray and taught them that ritual would save them and that being separate from the people around them would save them and that Jesus was from the devil. These were the false prophets of the time of Jesus. But this didn't end either. See, as Christianity took off, as it became more and more popular, more and more people tried to make money based on Christ. More and more people tried to take what Jesus had and repackage it and resell it. All throughout the book of Acts, we find Peter and Paul running up on these kind of fake magicians and false prophets. Guys like Simon the Magician, who went to Paul, or went to Peter, and boldly said, hey, I want what you got. How much is it going to cost me to get the Holy Spirit? You tell me. I'll buy it. Right? This is great. This stuff sells itself. How, how, how do I get it from you? Later on, Paul will be shipwrecked on an island. He'll come across a false prophet who will try to turn the Roman governor against him. And Paul has to finally rebuke him and make him go blind. Because this man is so destructive to the people around him. See, false prophets were everywhere. And false prophets were a pervasive problem. And Jesus and Paul and Peter all tell, that the, all tell the churches that they found that this is going to be a problem for the lifetime of the church. And they warn them over and over and over again, there will be false prophets. They will come and they will lead the people astray. Second Peter 2 says, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on them. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. See, Jesus and Paul and Peter and the leaders of the church knew that there was this destructive tendency in human beings to pervert the word of God, to try to use God for their own ends. Brothers and sisters, we are God's sheep, but we have to be very careful that we know who our shepherd is. We have to be very certain of who that is because there are people out there that will seek to deceive us and seek to use us. See, this world is filled with wolves who want to destroy God and who want to lead us astray. People who appear among us in sheep's clothing. But Jesus wants us to understand that we will be able to identify false prophets We'll be able to identify them if we're careful. We'll be able to see who they are because their deeds will show who they are. We'll be able to see them by the fruit that they live. Christ's life is not about words or appearance. It's about faith and it's about action. And ultimately, a false prophet will reveal himself. Jesus describes this reality over and over to his disciples that the Christian life is not about words. It's about faith and action. He uses the, the analogy of fruit and a tree. 
This, this analogy that, that if you are the real thing, you will produce good fruit. It's not about looking like a peach tree. It's about making peaches, right? It's not about looking like a fig tree. It's about producing figs. I know this because I have a peach tree and it doesn't produce peaches. It's huge. It's the biggest tree in my yard. Doesn't produce peaches. And so I'll lay the ax at its root and cut it down because all it's doing right now is taking up yard space. That's what Jesus is trying to get across. That, it, that if you're not producing fruit, right, if, if your life doesn't, doesn't reflect the glory of the Lord who saved you, you're not a real Christian. You're, you're not real. There's no, there's no substance inside. Good trees will bear good fruit. Bad trees will bear bad fruit. Now, I, I want you to understand this. I'm not saying that it, it, in order for you to be saved, you need to work a little bit harder you need, to, you need to do some good stuff. What I'm trying to tell you is that if you look at your life and you don't see any good fruit, you need to ask yourself the question, am I truly saved? Because God transforms us when we are saved. The Holy Spirit enters us and changes us into a new creation. And if you don't see the fruit of that in your life, something is wrong. Something's wrong. Jesus tells them that they'll be able to identify false teachers by the fruit that they bear. Now, this fruit comes in a couple of different, couple of different forms, right? You'll be able to identify a false teacher by the fruit of their teaching. If you look at what a false teacher is teaching, you will see who they are. See, false prophets seek to distort the gospel. They seek to change it. They seek to make it different. They seek to make it less offensive or try to make it make more sense to the people that they're talking to. They place themselves above Scripture, above Revelation, and pass judgment on it, right? They cut out certain portions of Scripture that they don't like. Sometimes these alterations are obvious, right? Deuteronomy tells us that false prophets call on the people to worship other gods. That's pretty obvious. Don't worship Yahweh. Worship Baal. Take your children. Put them in the fire. Sacrifice them to the God. That's pretty obvious. If you see that, anybody comes to you and says, take your children, put it on an altar, and burn it to another God, I'm just going to let you know that's a false prophet. Okay? Is that pretty clear? Okay, let's move on. Right? Some false prophets will say, Jesus wasn't really a man. Right? Jesus wasn't really a man. He was just spirit. He just appeared to die. We don't see that much because it's kind of weird, but that was a big thing back then. A lot of people believed that. That's false. That's a false prophet. Somebody comes to you and says, Jesus was just a man. He wasn't God. He, he, he wasn't God. He was just a regular person like us. He was just really, really good. False prophet. Little light should go on. This guy is a false prophet. He's changing scripture. Sometimes the teachings are more subtle, though. False prophets can be deceptive and clothe their heresy in religious-sounding words, in vagueness. That's what you're going to find more often. You're going to find people who speak about truth in a way that's vague. Brothers and sisters, if you find somebody that talks about Christian doctrines, solid things that we should all believe, if they're talking about redemption, if they talk about Christ, if they talk about the resurrection, and they use really weird-sounding, vague phrases, get worried. Get worried. Because they're speaking in vague terms so they don't have to say what they really mean. 
False prophets can be identified what they don't say. Does a pastor or a prophet shy away from discussing offensive realities about the gospel? Brothers and sisters, gospel's offensive. It's going to bother you. It's going to offend you. Okay? If it's not offensive, if the gospel isn't offensive, it's not really the gospel. Telling somebody that they're a sinner and they're going to die and go to hell for eternity, that's offensive. If you've got a pastor that's constantly papering over that, you've got to get worried. If he uses vague, unspecific terms to describe fundamental doctrines like the divinity of Christ or the substitution of Christ on the cross, got to be careful. If he's not saying those things, there's usually a reason, and it's usually not good. Regardless of the nature, regardless of how he does it, Paul has something very specific to say to people who change the gospel. You know what he says? He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. See, we can identify false prophets by what they teach, but we can also identify false prophets by the way that they act. There are plenty of guys out there that mouth the right words that are not God's ministers. Jesus calls these men hirelings, people whose only task in life is to shear the sheep and make money from it. Ministers of, the God are, ministers of God are called to the task by God, and they will have the stamp of God on them. Some of them will have been kick, kicking and screaming from where they were. Trust me, I know what that's like, okay? <laughs> Christian leaders are not people who just entered the family profession. They're not somebody who just needed something to do after they went to Bible college. There's plenty of guys like that out there. You need to be careful about the people that you choose to be your shepherd, the people that you choose to follow, because oftentimes these men are not pastors. They are not led by God, but by their own motivations, by their own desires, by their own quest for money, position, and status. Brothers and sisters, a pastor is supposed to be at the end of the procession. And Paul said that. We're cursed among all men. We're like slaves at the end. It's a terrible job. Right? If you're not called to it, don't take it. But that's the reality. False prophets are marked by their motivation, but they're also marked by their character. See, bad trees will bear bad behavioral fruit. We know what the fruits of the Spirit are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. If you got a pastor who doesn't exhibit a couple of them, you've got to ask yourself some questions. This doesn't mean that a pastor is supposed to be perfect, right? He's not. He's a person like everybody else. He's going through sanctification like everybody else. But he is called to exhibit these fruits. And he is called to live a different kind of life. See, brothers and sisters, you will know the validity of your pastor by the lives that they live. That's why there are all of those references about what a Christian leader is supposed to be like. And you have got to pay attention to the people who claim to be leaders of the church. I don't care if they wear a nice suit. I don't care if they use 
fancy words or they speak really well in the pulpit, you've got to pay attention to their life. You need to start looking at them. How do they treat their subordinates? How do they treat waiters and waitresses? How do the people treat the people who clean their houses? How do they treat store clerks? Watch. How do they treat their children? You've got to pay attention to this. You've got to be careful, too. Don't have unrealistic expectations. But you need to be aware. See, bottom line is, you are responsible for your salvation. If I lead you astray, you don't get to say that to God. You don't get to be like, nuh-uh, he told me. He said this is the way it's supposed to be. No. Now, I will have to answer for everything that I teach before God. I will. That's the burden I bear. If I teach heresy, I'm going to pay for it. But it's your responsibility to ensure that the person that is ministering to you is teaching you the right things. There is a very definite end in store for false prophets. You know what Jesus says? Jesus tells his disciples to make sure that they are not leading his children into sin. He says, if anyone causes one of the little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and if they were thrown into the sea. If you think that doesn't keep me up at night, you're crazy. How about this one? If anyone sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly, he will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. See, the pastor, the shepherd, will be held responsible for the things that he teaches. But each of you is destined to die, and when you die, you will face judgment. And my pastor was wrong will not be an excuse. I will pay the price for my ministry. You will pay the price for false belief. And so over and over and over again, Paul and Jesus call the people to test and approve the things that they are hearing, to not be just blind, dumb people, but to be wise as serpents, right? To, to think about the things that you're hearing. Test and approve with Scripture the things that you are hearing from me. Read your Bible so that you will be in a place to be able to judge. This is incredibly important as you move forward. Isaiah talks about how the people were led astray because they did not want to hear the truth. Instead, they sought pleasant things. They said, don't tell us what God wants us to know. Tell us pleasant things that will make us feel good. We know the Assyrians are bearing down on us and that they're going to conquer all of us and lead us off into, into slavery. I don't want to hear that. Tell me nice things. Tell me nice things. Don't be like that. Cultivate in yourself a desire for the truth, the hard, unvarnished truth. And don't tolerate somebody who tells you lies, who tickles your ears with false doctrines. Don't tolerate that. 2 Timothy 4.3 says that in the end days, people will allow false prophets to come up because they will not endure sound doctrine. 
We, we can look at false prophets like Jim Jones, and we can look at false prophets that are out there now and say, oh, these are bad guys. They're leading everybody astray. People are going to their churches. Nobody makes you sit down in another person's church. You go to a false prophet because you do not want real doctrine. So cultivate in yourself a desire for real doctrine, for the hard truths about God. And then you will not be led astray. Become biblically literate. God has set forth everything that you need for faith and practice in Christianity in the Bible. He wrote it all down. He didn't give it to me while I was asleep. He didn't, he didn't lead me out in the woods and give me some golden tablets that I read with special glasses, right? There's no secret. I have no secret knowledge. I got nothing, right? There is no secret knowledge here that you cannot find in Scripture. So sit down and read your Bible and become knowledgeable because you're going to be held responsible for it. Those of you guys that are in construction understand what I mean when I say that, that the plans are, are a complete set of documents. Anybody ever hear that before? It's a complete set of documents. That means you'll be held responsible for everything that, that's in there. When I was in construction, I, we made $100,000 mistakes because we didn't read the drywall specs. And it had information about the kind of hangers. We were held responsible. I didn't get to go to the general contractor and say, well, I, I didn't know. He said, well, you signed the document, didn't you? Like, well, yeah, I did. Well, you should have read it. You don't sign a mortgage document without reading it. So read your Bible and understand what it says. There is a danger here, though. The danger is that you can read through your scripture and you can become needlessly divisive. You can start being the Bible answer man, right? You know, the guy that sits there and knows the answer to all the questions and then starts picking apart and inventing doctrines and, and causing issues. Don't be that guy. If you have a problem with me, if you have a problem with something that I say, come and talk to me. Jesus outlined the way that it's supposed to work. Right? If you have a problem with me, come and talk to me about it. Don't go talk to your friends about it. You come and talk to me, and we'll talk about it. And if I blow you off, by all means, go get Joe or somebody else and come back and talk to me again. And if I still blow you off, get a couple more people, come back and talk to me. And if I continue to blow you guys off, vote me out. I'm just saying, that's the way it's supposed to work. We confront a brother. We seek to fix problems before they begin. We seek to live in harmony with each other. Most importantly, though, brothers and sisters, if you want to be able to follow the right shepherd, you need to become one of God's sheep. You will not have the knowledge that it takes if you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you guiding you. So if you have not taken that step yet, if you have not given yourself to Christ, if you don't have a personal relationship with him, that is the first thing that you have to do. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. And I would invite you to come forward and we will pray with you and we will help you to understand who Christ is and we'll pray to accept Christ. If you're embarrassed or you don't want to do that, I get it. Come and find me afterwards and I will talk with you. But don't leave this place without accepting Christ. Don't go back out into the world and take another week's worth of risks without accepting Christ. 
because the danger is just too high. If you have accepted Christ and you think that this is the kind of place that you want to be a part of, please come and join us. Live, what, live life with us. I am not a perfect shepherd, but I try real hard. And we're not perfect people, but we'll love you. And we'll love you as hard as we can. So in a moment when we have our time of invitation, please come forward. In either case, realize that you are in charge of your life and your soul. You choose who you follow. Make sure that you are following a shepherd, not a wolf in sheep's clothing. Please bow your heads with me. Dear Jesus, God, thank you so much for all the blessings in our life. God, thank you for your word, for your revelation to us. God, I ask that you would watch over us, that you would keep us safe, that you would be with every person here. And you would give them the wisdom to be able to know who you are and the courage to be able to seek you. Lord, I ask that you would be with the leaders of this church, that we would operate in a way that is in conformity with your word. Not our, our own opinions, but your word. You would give us a desire to deepen our relationship with you. Lord, I ask these things in your holy name. Amen.